Well, uh, I'm continuing here in the book of First Corinthians, and we're here now in chapter three, and we're kind of in the middle. And, you know, one of the things about preaching through a book is that uh, you kind of have to, have to let the Bible or let the text guide you in terms of what you want to say and how you want to say things and um, what you need to preach. Um, if you're doing topical sermons, you can kind of think, well, this is the best for this group and this is the best for that person. And you can kind of pick and choose what you want to talk about. But when you're preaching through a book, you kind of have to just follow what the book says. And so what I'm what I'm going to say is, uh, what I'm going to preach here is is just straight from our next passage. And the reason I'm saying this is because there's some hard words here. Uh, there's some hard words, I think, that Paul is giving to the church in Corinth. You know, in chapters 1 and 2, he, he, he already told them how much God loves them, how much he's given them his grace, how much that they are in Christ and they're united to him. And uh, now from, from the end of chapter 2 to to chapter three and onwards, uh, he kind of lays into them and he gives them some hard words to think about. And I, and I think uh, as hard as it is for us, it, it, it's something that I think we need to hear. Because some of the times, I, I, here's what I think. Um, most of us, I think in our Christian life, even myself, we like a comfortable Jesus. You know, we, sometimes I think we, as Christians living here in the United States, we practice a soft version of Christianity. Meaning that, that you know, we all have our lives and we, we, we do what we want to do and we work for what we want to work for. And, you know, we, we live to make our desires uh, real and actual. And when things don't go our way, we, we kind of, you know, get down and we get frustrated and, and we complain about a lot of things. and and the littlest bit of sometimes suffering can really, can really, you know, just wreak havoc in our lives. And, and when these things happen, you know, those are the times where, you know, we, we come to Jesus, you know, we say, Hey, God, help me, help me in this area. This is, this is what I'm living for. And this is what I want. And, and I need you to help me. And, and then once he does, and, or once you get over that page, you know, we, we, we don't really think about it too much after that, do we? Uh, we kind of want to just move on with our lives. We like a comfortable Jesus, you know, we, we like our soft Christianity, you know, we, we go to church, but, but, you know, as long as God doesn't ask me to do something too crazy, you know, too, too quote unquote Christian, that I could just continue to live my life and then, you know, just have God kind of support me that I could just go to him when, when I need grace and when I need mercy and forgiveness, as long as he doesn't, uh, ask too much from me and require too much from me, you know, that, that's the kind of Jesus that, that I like. And this is the very opposite of what you see here in this book and in this person, the Apostle Paul. Look at the Apostle Paul. Think about this. One of the greatest motivating factors in the life of Paul was this, this very truth, that Jesus came, that he lived that he died, that he rose from the dead, and that he will come back. This is one of the truths that was the greatest motivating force in his life. And then what you see here is a person who lived like this every day as if that was true. As if that was true for him every day. And that if he was gonna be committed to something, if, if that means anything, then he was going to do it 100%. He wasn't going to half-ass his faith. 
that if he was going to run a race, like he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, then he was going to run it with one thing in mind, and that was winning it. Nobody ever honored somebody who quit. Nobody ever honored somebody who was just being lazy about stuff, right? And if he was going to fight a fight, then Paul, he fought to win it. And I think that's what Paul, as a Christian, trying to live in his mind what a Christian life is, that was his mindset. He didn't worship or follow a comfortable Jesus. He didn't live a soft Christianity. And as Paul writes to the Christians here in the church of Corinth, he really starts laying it out for them, not just to remind them of who they are, as he did in chapters one and two, but now he's going to exhort and he's going to challenge in how they're living as people who've confessed Christ, as people who are Christians. Chapter three, we started last week. I'll give you three words, three things that he does. Familial, agricultural, and thirdly, which we'll focus on today, architectural. These are three metaphors that he uses in chapter three. The first part of chapter three, just to kind of review, he he's uses a familial metaphor to diagnose their problem. That they were infants, right? Who ought to have matured, but they remained immature. They ought to have been on solid food by now. But when he came to visit them, he hears of all these issues, and they're still only capable of receiving milk. So there's an immaturity issue. There's a need for growth. And that was the problem. Then in verses 5 to 9, what we saw is that he then switches over to an agricultural metaphor, right? That the church is like a field. That people like Paul and Apollos and, and other ministers, they're nothing but farmhands working in the field, planting and watering the, the seed of the word. But we learned last week that it was God. It was God who gives the growth. God who gives growth, right? And so now in our passage, he uses a third metaphor. He used a familial one. He used an agricultural one. And now he gives us an architectural one. Look at the end of verse 9. He says this, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. And then he says, God's building. God's building. So from verse 9 to pretty much the rest of this chapter, he uses this metaphor of, of a building to describe the people of God, to describe the church. Now, I'm going to give you three encouragements I see here, three, I think, challenges or exhortations that he gives us to remind us to, to think about more of our faith and to grow in our maturity, right? He gives us three things, three, three I, I think you can remember it this way, three Bs, right? He gives us the first B, which is build. Build on a right foundation. Second thing he says is, be careful. Be careful how you build. And then third, beware. Beware of, of how you build, okay? So three Bs here, build, be careful, and beware. So let's look at this, and this is what he says to this church. The first point here is this. Paul says in verses 10, he says this, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one of us take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is in Jesus Christ. And so Paul's taking this metaphor of a building, and this, it's a construction of a building, right? And you can imagine if you've ever seen a construction site, there are people, a lot of people with different roles, different roles, different jobs that they had to do to, to build this building. 
And Paul's role, he's saying, by God's grace, Paul's role was to lay the foundation of this building upon which everyone else now starts to build on, right? Now, what's the foundation of a building? The foundation of a building is that lowest part of the building which bears the load of the building, right, once it's built. Once it's laid down, the foundation, once it's laid down, it doesn't need to be laid again, but it bears the weight of all that's built upon it. It's an important thing. Uh, if you are familiar with Washington, D.C., you know one of the famous uh, things to see there is what they call the Washington Monument, the Washington Monument. And, and maybe some of you may already know this, but that monument, you know, it's a, it looks like a, an obelisk, right, with like a little point, like it looks like a giant pen or pencil or something like that, but it was built in 1848. And uh, in 1848, they started building it, but by 1853, they had to stop. It almost ended in disaster. It was supposed to be the tallest building at that point in time in the world, 600 feet tall. But it wasn't supposed to look like the way it does now. They actually meant to have a flat top on the top of that monument and a statue of George Washington riding a horse at its pinnacle. Uh, but because of lack of finances, because of some politics, they had to stop building it. And what happened for the next 20 years, it just remained unfinished. And over the next 20 years, the Washington Monument began to lean. Uh, it was probably two inches off vertical and then cracks began to appear in this building, right? Cracks began to appear. For 20 years, this great monument was unfinished. It was cracked, it was leaning, it looked like it was about to fall over at any moment. And the reason for this was because it was built on clay and sand. The foundation itself was weak and it began to, to, to fall apart, right? And it wasn't until later that architects figured out a way to fix that. But the point here is this, uh, a good foundation really matters if you're going to build on top of it and make it last, right? A good foundation is important. And this is what Paul says here. He says this, I've laid a foundation on which everyone else is building on. And Paul's role here is this. He's simply saying this, that his job was to lay a spiritual foundation for the church. And he's saying this, if you want to build your life on a foundation, okay, the only foundation that will work, he says, is the foundation of Jesus Christ. You can't lay any other. If you try to build your life on any other foundation as a Christian, your Christian life will start to lean off center. Cracks in your life will start to appear. You see, sometimes what's hard about the Christian life is not beginning it or is not becoming one. Sometimes what's difficult is about finishing one. And if you want to live, if you want to endure in this life and the next as a person of faith, if you want to last in the Christian life, you do not build to last unless you build on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. This is what Paul wants to get at first. This is one of the most basic things. This is step one in terms of growing. This is foundational for Paul. This is the beginning of the Christian life. You build your life with Christ as your foundation, as your base, that lowest point in your life, the core of your life that is load-bearing, 
that principle, that idea, that thought, that teaching, that truth, that, that thing that your life either stands on or falls on and bears the load of your life. And the question I think that Paul begs is this, what are we building our life on? What are you building your life on? And some people, some of us, we try to build on top of a foundation of, of just being a good person. Others of us, we build our life on, on, on our work, our vocation, maybe the principle of having a strong work ethic. Some people are building their lives on, on morality, treat each other as, as much as you want to be treated. Uh, others of us, maybe we, we build our life, we build a foundation, uh, we tend to fall back and live by uh, you know, our, our, our relationships, our marriage, our children. Perhaps others of us have built our lives to attempt to win approval. First from mom and dad, and now then from your peer groups, and now to get approval from your work. And that, that's the great principle, right? The great foundation that directs all your efforts is the affirmation and, and praise of others. But what Paul is trying to tell us here, he's telling the Corinthian churches here, that the only foundation for life, the only foundation for corporate life, which is the church, is Jesus Christ himself. That he came, that he died, that he rose again, that he paid for our sins, that he saved our life by grace and grace alone. And if that foundation goes, then everything in your Christian life falls. So Paul here is telling us very clearly that whatever you're building your life on, if it is not the foundation of Jesus, if that doesn't somehow permeate through everything else we do in life, then cracks will start to eventually appear. Think about this. Life can be full of unexpected hardship, difficulties, uncertainties, sometimes even suffering and, and even death. And as people... You know, we, we try to take on all that on our own. We, we try to bear the, the weight of that all on our own. And it feels like we're bearing the weight of the world sometimes, right? But the problem is that, you know, we're not perfect. We're, we're not even that strong all the time. In fact, we're very sinful. We're broken many times. We're cracked. And the point here is this. You and I, we're just not built to bear that kind of weight on our own. And Paul's saying Jesus can. And so the question here today is this, where are you resting on? Uh, what are you hoping on? Are you resting on Christ today? What are you building your life on? What's your foundation today? Isn't this why we sing that famous hymn? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame Right? He says, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So the first point here, he tells us church in Corinth in terms of growing is this. Make sure you build your life on the right foundation the solid rock who is Jesus Christ, okay? Now, the second point he gives them is this. Not only does he tell us that we need to build on the right foundation, but the second B here is this. We need to also be careful how we build on that foundation. So, so basically, the first question is, what are you building on? But now the second question is, what are you building with? 
What are you building with? And look at verses 13 to 15. This is what Paul says. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, it will receive reward. If the work is uh, burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, let me, let me just, just, you know, summarize this, simplify this for you. Paul here right now, he's talking about a day where God will examine the things that we've done, how we've lived, what we've done with our lives. And he's saying that, that there are going to be those people who are, have done things which endure to the end. And then there's going to be people who have done things but end up being sort of burned up in this fire. Now, let me be clear here. Paul here is not talking about whether you're a real Christian or not, okay? Like some Christians here and not Christians there, and those will be burned up. No, that, that's not what he's talking about, right? But he's giving us a piece of wisdom. He's speaking to Christians, and he's giving a piece of wisdom and exhortation to every true Christian. And basically what he's saying in this passage is this. Build your life, live your life, so that what you do, so that what you build actually lasts. As a Christian, with this foundation, who is Jesus, make sure you build so that things last. So that things endure. If Christ is your foundation, live a life, do things that has ramifications, not just 10 years from now, not just 20 years from now, but maybe even onto eternity. Live a life that endures, that won't be burned up as frivolous. That's what he says here. Okay, this is the challenge he gives to this church. Let me try to illustrate it this way. You know, um, I think back in eighth and ninth grade, I, we, we lived in Salt Lake City, Utah. It's probably one of the most beautiful states I've, I've ever lived in. But growing up uh, for a few years there uh, and going to school there, it, it was, it was kind of nice because one of my favorite classes uh, back then was gym, right? It was gym. But the reason that I liked gym so much was because uh, our school had, had access to a full uh, recreational center, right? With, with all, you know, the weights and all the, the facilities and we, that school had access to it. So we would have gym class in in a in a you know a recreation facility that was probably even better than the gym that I go to, right? And one of the things I discovered there as a young kid doing going to gym class was this: we we played racquetball. They had racquetball course there, and I played racquetball, and I loved it. Uh, it was something that I just picked up really quickly. Racquetball and then swimming. They had an Olympic sized swimming pool, you know, back in eighth and ninth grade, and and uh, that's where I picked up swimming and I loved it, I enjoyed it. In fact, I would say as a student, I always told myself, why can't we as kids, why can't we study racquetball and swimming all day, right? Why can't we major and focus on, on, on things like racquetball and swimming? Why do we have to focus things on, on you know, what, what some teachers call the three R's, right? Reading, writing, arithmetic. Now, Okay, I get it. You know, those words don't begin with the R. I know that, all right? School teach me good, okay? I know that. But, but why, are, why is reading, writing, and arithmetic the focus? Why can't we focus on things like racquetball and swimming? And the reason is this. Reading, writing, and arithmetic is foundational. 
It's foundational in our education, and that's why it continues. Things like racquetball and swimming, what are, the, what are those things? They, they might be important to some people, but in the big picture of things, they're extracurricular. They're extracurricular. That's why they're called extracurricular. Extracurricular means it's extra, it's outside, it's curricular, it goes around. It's outside. These things go around what is foundational, which is reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? Now think about this. We all work, we all live, we all have with uh, some purpose in life, right? But I think oftentimes the way we live our so-called Christian lives is that we do everything that we want to do, okay? We do everything that we think is foundational to our lives. We do everything that we think is important to us. And God is an afterthought, right? God is an afterthought. And all we want is God to just come around us and come alongside of us and, and help us along uh, with our stuff. Because our stuff, that's what I live for. That's what I base my life on. That's what's foundational to me. And Jesus and God, he's extracurricular. Functionally. But if God is there, if Jesus is true, if you've made your foundation on Christ, then doesn't it make sense to live day to day as if he really is foundational as a person of faith? That your faith in Christ ought not to just sit there in the back of your mind, but that we ought to take our faith more seriously and then build our life around it. That the knowledge of God and what Jesus has done for me ought to permeate not just what I do, but also how I do things. And it begs the question, how are you living day to day as a person of faith? What are you building? Now, many of us think, and, and, and some of us think, well, you know, you know, I get all that, right? But, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, and, and surely, you know, as, as, long as, as long as I've got Jesus, I'm good, right? As long as I've got Jesus, I'm good. And, and as long as my life is resting on Christ and he's my foundation, then does it really matter then what I build in this life, like how much I build for him? I mean, does it, does it are we really going to compare one another? What, what does that mean? But Paul in our passage says this, that one day, even how we live will be put under scrutiny. Even how we live will be examined. And not just how much we did, but the quality of what we did. The kind of quality that endures or lasts. That's why he says in verse 10, he says to this church, let each one take care how he builds. You, you translate that into our words. He's basically saying, let each one take care how he lives as a person of faith. Paul is sticking with this metaphor, and he says, it matters how you live, okay? It matters how you live. But if you wanted to live in a way, if you wanted to build in a way that, that endures, that lasts, that makes a difference for an eternity, think about this. If you wanted to build your life this way, what materials would you use? Now look at it with me very carefully, or listen with me very carefully. Look at verse 12, or listen to verse 12, and he lists different construction materials that you and I might use to build something. And he lists gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Notice these lists of materials. They are listed in decreasing value and increasing inflammability. Do you see that? Gold is the most expensive straw is the least expensive 
Gold is the least flammable. Straw is the most flammable, right? Decreasing value, increasing flammability. And what Paul is saying here is this. There's a difference among Christians in how they build. Now think about this. Here's what he's saying. Let's say you could do anything you wanted to do. Let's say you've got all the resources, all the materials you need to build your life to do something for God. So we got two Christians, right? And Christian one says, yeah, I want to build something for God. And I'm going to use things like granite or marble. That would be good, right? Because they're solid things. And now overlay it with maybe gold or silver. That would be a good building. That will last for a long time. That's Christian one. But Christian number two says, yeah, I'm going to do something for God too. I'm going to build something for him as well. But they build it out of things like wood or straw or hay. And so you got two Christians, both with the same resources, both with the same spirit, both with the same power. And here you got one Christian saying, here, God, here's wood, hay, and, and straw. How do you like it? And the other Christian says, here's gold and silver and precious stones. This is what I've done. There's a difference. Both are Christians, but there's a difference in how they're doing and what they're doing in their life. This is what he's trying to say. Now, why is this important? Think about this. It's, it's common sense. Look, if there's someone you love and you wanted to give them a gift, you wanted to make them something, maybe bake a cake or something like that, what ingredients would you use? Would you use the cheapest ingredients you could find? Or would you use the best ingredients you could find? Of course, if you really love this person, you ought to use the best ingredients, the best materials to make something for God or for him because, they, because you love him. But if that's true for us, why wouldn't it be different from God? And so the challenge here is this. As a professed Christian, out of your time and effort and abilities, out of your gifts, uh, even out of your finances, are you giving him the best of what you've got? Are you giving him gold, silver, and precious stones? Or are you just giving him leftovers after what you've done, everything for yourself, and just now whatever you have is wood, hay, and straw? That's what he's saying. If we say we love him, if we worship him, if he's foundational to our lives, are we building our lives for him with gold, Silver and precious stones are already building our life for him with just wood, hay, and straw. It's not about quantity, but it's about quality. And there are some Christians who go through their whole Christian life building nothing but wood, hay, and straw. They go to, straw, they go to church. They sit down and they say, hey, this is my precious stone for today. They sit there, they listen, and then they go back out the door, and then there's nothing else. Now, you know, it, it's not bad to come to church, right? It's a good thing to come to church, isn't it? It's a good thing to come to church. It's good. But the issue here is this. Sometimes it's not just about doing the good thing. It's about doing the best thing. Your best thing. Going to church as a Christian is basic. And if all we do is come and walk away and that's it, that's straw. I think that's kind of straw. That's hay. That's wood. Right? You know, um, there's a famous missionary by the name of C.T. Studd, and he was one of the guys who volunteered to go to China with Hudson Taylor, another famous missionary. And C.T. Studd is, is most famous probably for um, sort of his mission statement and the reason why he decided 
to go to China. And he said this, he said, quote, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's what he says. Some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's what he wanted to do. That's how he understood the mission of the church. And he had this little two-line poem that, that everyone knows is famous, and he says this, quote, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And the question that Paul begs here is, is your life and what you're building going to last? How much of your labors, your attention, your focus, are you spending on yourself for your own desires, for your own pleasures, for your own distractions, for just here and now? How much have we already done in this world that's already long gone and forgotten? Now, let's be clear. You might be thinking that, that me or, or that, that Paul is saying, hey, you want to live your best life for God now? Then you should do that by becoming a pastor or, or becoming a missionary or, or becoming an evangelist. Because after all, the most obvious way, right, is to build your life and live your life for Jesus would be to give your life to some kind of ministry. So maybe you think that this doesn't apply to you, right? This is just for those certain people because I'm not called to be a pastor or a preacher or a missionary of any kind of sort. But look at what Paul's saying. He isn't just talking about people who are pastors and missionaries. Look at, you know, the last verses of 10. He says, let every man be careful how he builds. Verse 13, let every person uh, work be revealed at the end of the day. Verse 13, he says, let each person's work be tested what kind it is. Sure, pastors and missionaries are, are, are part of all this, and they're building on that foundation their whole life. But every one of us has a ministry. Every one of us has someone or something that we serve, that we give our life to. Isn't it true? Each one of us has something that we do that's based on the foundation that we've laid. Right? Think about this. When you sat there taking care of loved ones who are sick or nursing your aging parents, you're ministering to them selflessly. You're building with gold, silver, and precious stones. When day after day, for years after years, maybe you faithfully prayed for a loved one to, to come to faith, right? And, and to know God, and no one knew that, no one saw that, but God knew. And, and you were building then with gold, with silver, and precious stones. Maybe as, as a parent, you pray with your children, and you pray for your kids, and, and you do the best you can to raise them in the faith. You're building with gold and silver and precious stones. Or maybe, you know, you, you opened your mouth to, to speak out against wrong or injustice, to defend the weak, maybe even risk, risking your reputation or worse, uh, you know, your job in the workplace to speak for your faith. You're building with gold and silver and precious stones. You know, whenever you taught a Bible study, whenever you prayed for your group, that, that's gold, that's silver right? Whenever you are motivated by willful, unselfish love for God's glory, that, that's, that's gold and silver and precious stones. When your daily conduct is holy and righteous and your service is beneficial and faithful, you are building with gold and silver and special stones. This is the difference, right, between gold and silver and precious stone work and wood, hay, and straw work. 
And the Paul's asking, be careful how you build your life. How have you been building? How have you been living as a person of faith? Build with gold. Build with silver and precious stones. Build for eternity. Build in humility. Build selflessly. Build joyfully. Build in faith, resting on the foundation of Christ. Build for his honor and for his praise. Build for the salvation of those who are lost. And be careful then how you build and that we build for endurance. Okay, so that's the second point. The first point was make sure we have the right foundation that we build on. The third point is be careful how we build and what we build with. And thirdly, last but not least, the third B here is this. Beware. Beware of destroying the building. So Paul says, make sure you've got the right foundation. There's only one that can bear the weight of your life for time and eternity, and that's Jesus Christ. Are you resting on him? Are you resting on him? Then secondly, he says, be careful how you build on that foundation. Are you living in a way that lasts, that shows that your life is on a foundation of Christ? Thirdly, he says this, finally, beware of destroying the building. And in verse 16 and 17, he says this, don't you know that you, you here is plural, but don't you know that you uh, are the temple of God and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are his temple. So the building that he uses, the, the metaphor of this building, apparently we see at last, it's the temple of God. It's the church of Christ, right? Life built on the foundation of the gospel shows itself in community. It shows itself in community, right? What's the opposite of building something? It's tearing down. It's tearing down. And so this church, this church in Corinth, they had issues with conflict, with jealousy, with anger, with hate. And it was creating havoc in this church, in this community. It was tearing down this church apart. You see, when you've got strife, when you've got anger and jealousy, and you've got hate in your life, oftentimes it shows you that you've got a different foundation from what you're living on. Something else other than God is ruling your life. And it means you've been building your life on the wrong foundation. And that not only tears down your spiritual life, it can wreak havoc in a community of believers, God's church. Instead of building up a community, instead of building up fellowship, you end up tearing it down. So Paul says, <clears throat> let's be careful not to destroy the unity of the church. Make sure you have the right foundation. Jesus Christ himself. Make sure that you're building with the best of your God-given ability. Okay? Make sure you're living to the fullest and not tearing down what God has established. And last but not least, make sure that we pray. We pray and we say, Lord, build my life. Build my life on your foundation. Let my days be filled. Let my days be filled with intentional, meaningful, purposeful words and actions that build for lasting consequences, for growth, and for love. This message, I think, is not only relevant to the church in Corinth, but I think it's very relevant to our culture and our church today. And so I pray and I hope that God will continue to help you to grow with your foundation on Christ alone. Let's pray.